What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome back to the one and only Cavs the Podcast, featuring commentary from all of your favorite Cavs the Blog bloggers. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Cavs a Podcast. I am honored to be joined by a longtime Cavs beat reporter for the uh, Willoughby, the News Herald and Willoughby, uh, Bob Finnan, who uh, just wrote a book that I've enjoyed uh, in the last couple of weeks called 100 Things Cavaliers Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Uh, and Bob uh, wrote this over the sum. Well, I don't know how long have you been writing this book, Bob? How long did this book yeah. take to put together? Yeah, it took almost two years really to put okay. this together. And uh, we were going to. Uh, then they wanted to wait until the outcome of uh, the finals last year, and obviously it had a pretty good outcome. So we. Uh, it really the book starts in uh, 1970 and a little before that when the team team's inception, and it runs all the way through the 2016 championship. And uh, and just for our readers, it's it's not a chronological book. It's kind of a uh, top 100 countdown. It kind of jumps all over the place, which I actually enjoyed the format, <laughs> the way it jumped and the way that yeah. uh, you kind of just get little snippets, uh, little vignettes of uh, what it was like uh, to be on the team and to cover the team and the very colorful history of the Cavs throughout the years. And and congratulations on the perfect timing of getting your book done just in time to uh, for the Cavs to win a championship. So uh, it couldn't, really? couldn't have worked out better for you. So And um, it's uh, ready for Christmas, and that's I think that's what the publisher likes. Absolutely. And, um, and it'll make a nice uh, Christmas gift for Cavs fans everywhere. 
and basically it's a hundred stories, kind of stories slash chapters on the team, and then uh, we just kind of rank them uh, most important to least important, and some I think got cut on the uh, editing floor, so to speak. But um, it was a lot of fun to write, and there is so much. Uh, like you said, a lot of colorful characters and teams through the years. And uh, I covered the Cavs for 20 years as a beat writer. And a few years before that, actually, I was uh, the backup guy in the beat uh, for a few years. And um, it was a great run. I was there through all of uh, LeBron's uh, time with the team. And um, the guy, obviously, is a newsmaker. I mean, every day we were hanging on every word he said, and, uh, you know, it's still going on now. I'm uh, no longer on the beat. Um, I'm now working in uh, Medina at the Medina Gazette covering the city of Medina. And and that's, that's got to be very different for you, but I'm sure that your family likes having you home off the off the road. Uh, one of my favorite chapters from the book was where you talked about uh, life on the road and uh, getting back for uh, I think it was that was it the 2007 series when you were trying to come back. Um, oh, um, from the San Francisco, I think. Or yeah. Maybe it was. There's a couple different stories. <laughs> uh, one, me and uh, Woodhorst got uh, stuck in uh, I think it was Washington, and we were right near Christmas, and uh, we we showed up at the airport and uh, they pretty much said, well, all the flights are canceled. Oh, crummy. And uh, so, you know, when can we get another flight? And they said like, well, two or three days, we should be able to get you home. And so, you know, that wasn't going to work. So we rented a car, drove all the way home through the, just a terrible weather and snow finally got to, uh, my car at uh, on Snow Road there in Oak uh, Park. My car was in about a five foot oh, block no. of ice. Block of ice. So, so you actually had like to, a, you couldn't even drive home. You had to drive to the airport, drop the car off, and get your own car. Right. <laughs> wow. It, it was just a terrible mess, and we chipped away at my car. Got in there, wouldn't start, and and uh, it, it was just one thing after another that night. Uh, and uh, we we uh, have a lot of, had a lot of fun though doing it. I ended up sleeping in a chair, I think, at his house uh, <laughs> that night when we finally got got uh, home. And uh, a really funny one that I just laugh at still. Just having a terrible day, and finally I was going to Miami. I finally. You know, my, all the flights were delayed, and, you know, I finally got down there, and it was real hot and sticky day, and I waited. I, I got to the uh, rental car place, and there was, like, 15 guys in line ahead of me, and I'm just, uh, I was just curious. <laughs> and uh, I finally got a car. It, you know, they didn't have any, like, uh, normal-sized sedans or something. They gave me this little crappy little car and I get in the car and I look at it and the gauge is half full, the gas is half full. <laughs> and I, I call the guy over and I just get really nasty with him. I, I was being a real 
goof. And just yelling at the guy, you know, don't you think you can at least fill it up with gas when I get the car? And the guy sticks his head in, in my car and looks at it, and he says, uh, sir, that's the temperature gauge. <laughs> and I just felt like a dope. And I, you know, thanked him and just, like, flew out of there. And um, it was a lot of crazy stuff like that on the road. But, um, you know, we were uh, on the road for you know, years with me and Brian. We were really close for a long time. And uh, there's only there's only three of us on the road, three riders. And you really get, you know, you hang out more with those guys than you do your wife. So who was the time. who was the other one? Was that uh, Jason Lloyd? Uh, well, it was um, Branson Wright then. Okay. And uh, Branson then, uh, well, he's still at the plane dealer. And, okay. And uh, Lloyd uh, eventually replaced uh, George Thomas, actually, at the Beacon. Um, and... When horse was at the Beacon, then I think, and then he went to the Plain Dealer before going to ESPN. Oh, okay. And yeah, so he, uh, we've had a lot of really great B writers through the years. Uh, Wind horse was one of them. Uh, Chris Broussard, you know, covered the Cavs for a long time, and uh, there's just been some really good ones through the years. Uh, Mary, um, oh, what Mary who worked for the Mary, Sh- yeah, Mary Schmidt Boyer. Yeah, she was great. She covered, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she, no, she, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I mean, she, Mary was a really uh, a good reporter, worked at a lot of big papers through the years, and uh, she is a really good friend of mine. So, good, good. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think we've been. I, I kind of call Cleveland the, a jewel of the Midwest, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this Cavs run and then this year this Indians run, it, and, and the city in general, I've written a lot about how I really feel like the region is making an enormous comeback in terms of, you know, from the Great Recession in 2007, and I just felt like for a lot of us, um, and I've only lived here since 2000, but I, I definitely saw the the slide down when it happened into the into the great recession but a lot of us the very bottom of the great recession was uh the decision when Bra- lebron left i just felt like it really yeah kicked us kicked us all when we were down and yeah. i've been just super happy to see cleveland just kind of make this meteoric comeback uh and it's not just lebron coming back it's the indians it's uh you know the region is is rebounded a ton financially. We have fina- we have fantastic universities. Uh, Cleveland is now a top five foodie city. Um, I just feel like culturally and you know economically and just as a fantastic place to live and raise a family, uh, the Northeast Ohio area is is big time on the comeback trail. So I've really enjoyed that. Um, is that kind of something you've seen in the last few years that especially also taking into account this Indians run? Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it's really, it's uh, definitely made the comeback, and it's, uh, you know, ready for some more big things, I think. And uh, there for a while, it was down. It was really down. And uh, you mentioned the de- decision. Uh, that's about as low as it could get. I mean, uh, I, 
you know, none of us will ever forget that night. And uh, the, the day before that, uh, the decision, I was um, I was at a concert, uh, James Taylor and Carol King concert at the Q, and uh, my I kept getting texts from Jim Jim Donovan all night. What's going to happen? What, what's going to happen with LeBron? And I'm, I was telling Jim, there's nothing, you know, he's coming back. Uh, that day I I talked to about 10 different people in the Cavs organization, and every one of them said, you know, LeBron will be back. You know, we have nothing to worry about. Dan Gilbert was at some millionaires convention in Idaho, I think. And they just, everyone thought he was coming back, and, well, obviously, he didn't. And, <laughs> right. uh, so you, you know, really had, had no yeah. inclination going forward that that was the way it was going to turn. When, at what point uh, did you realize, what is it, when he was on TV or just kind of leading up to Absolutely. it? Absolutely. It was not until he was, well, um, you know, we knew that he was scheduling this decision on, on ESPN. Uh, it was not until the words came out of his mouth that everyone, including the Cavs, mind you, uh, realized that he was leaving. I mean, the, the uh, LeBron had one of his people, uh, his agents now, uh, uh, Paul. What's his first name? I can't remember his name. Again, Rich you're, Paul. Rich Paul, you're as bad yeah. as name. You're as Brad with names as I am. <laughs> My God, uh, he had Rich Paul uh, called the general manager, Chris Grant, uh, just a few minutes before that uh, decision aired, and that's when they found out. And you know, everyone was floored, of course. But the four years after that were just the, you know, some of the worst times in the Cavs history least record-wise, it was the worst uh, four-year stretch in the NBA at the time. Oh, yeah, and um, and, and not only that, they set the record for the most consecutive losses in a season. Um, They had the, you wrote about this, and I wrote about this when it happened, Uh, they had the worst number one draft pick possibly in the history of the NBA, (laughs) you know. Maybe, maybe ever. Yeah. That poor kid, and you know what, I'm sure you were around them, he he was a nice kid, Anthony Bennett, and uh, he was just not prepared for what the NBA was all about. And, and, you know, and not only and, that, I don't even think he was prepared for, if he'd have maybe been like the fifth pick and kind of would have had a little less of a spotlight and he could have kind of grown into right. the role a little bit, I he was not prepared with the spotlight that comes with being no. the number one pick on a team you know, two, three years after LeBron James left the Cavs, you know, after they were the biggest team in the league. So it was, it was unfortunate for him. So yeah, I mean, there were some, some low years and then, so kind of the opposite, uh, what was kind of your first inkling that LeBron was going to be back? Well, I started looking at Miami's roster and it really looked like an aging roster to me. One that it's just, wasn't going to be very good in the next few years. And I kept looking at the Cavs roster and, you know, they had Kyrie, they had Dion, Waiters, and um, a few other. Tristan Thompson and Andy. Yeah, Yeah, some, you know, they had a, um, 
a lot of younger guys, and it started to add up. And I was talking to some people in his camp, and he wanted to raise his kids here. That was a big deal for him and his wife. You know, you don't really want to raise kids in Miami and that <laughs> lifestyle down there. Nothing against Miami. It's just, you know, and it's just, uh, he was a Cleveland guy, you know, Ohio guy. And, uh, I started thinking this was, this might happen. And I started writing that and, you know, everyone, everyone thought I was nuts, but I, uh, when, when did you start writing that? Like, uh, maybe around April or was it even earlier? Well, I mean, I was hinting at it along, uh, along the way. Like and, the whole um, 2014, 2015 Not so series. much. Or, yeah, not, I guess it would be 13, maybe, 14. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a little bit during the season. But uh, the last couple of months, it, it really started to make sense to me. And I figured, what the heck? You know, none of us really knew for sure. And, uh, and then the week heading up to it, there was some, just some weird stuff going on. And, um, I remember that week because it was like people calling in to talk radio and it was like, oh, uh, my wife goes to the same hair salon as, you know, <laughs> Savina Brinson and they're coming back, you know, and it's like, yeah, I know. there was, yeah. there was 500 yeah. stories like that. You know, the, there the, was. the guy there that was. opens the, you know, that opens the door at the queue, <laughs> he knew that yeah. LeBron was coming back. So, All right. The hot dog vendor knew and that. <laughs> But then uh, when uh, Gilbert flew down to meet with LeBron, that was a, a really weird uh, thing. And uh, the one radio guy from uh, the other, one of the other stations, 92.3, you know, found out about it. And I remember uh, Gilbert saying, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm, I'm at home in my backyard. And you I know, remember, as he's flying, as he's yeah. flying down to Miami and, um, you know, that was a big deal. He went down there and kind of apologized for the letter. And uh, um, it was, uh, you know, just everything heading up to it. I thought the really big deal was when LeBron was going to uh, go and have a face-to-face meeting with Pat Riley. And I was thinking to myself, man, it's going to be hard to tell Riley that you're leaving. But uh, evidently that's, you know, what happened. And uh, here, here he is coming back. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and now now we're NBA champions. So, really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to believe. It's still I still pinch myself sometimes, and uh, <laughs> I know. Well, so, I so when they won, uh, you know, where were you? What was your reaction? Well, I mean, I have to tell you, I started crying. Okay. And, uh, well, I don't maybe, blame you. I mean, you know, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to call me a wimp, go ahead. But uh, it really meant a lot to me. I had seen so many bad cast teams through the years. I mean, going way back uh, when I first started covering, Fratello was a coach, and there were some lean years in there with John Lucas and you know guys like that. And uh, it really was something when they when they did come back, you know, they kept in that series. I did get to go to all the finals games at home and, uh, the series leading up to it as well. And, 
once they got to the finals and they fell behind 3-1, you know, logic tells you it's probably not going to happen, but they just wanted to get it to that game seven, and you never know what's going to happen. They kept yeah. saying that, and, and it's true. And, and once they got there and you have LeBron in your team, you don't want, as an opponent, you don't want that to, get, to happen because – they really had no answer for him in that game. Once he turned it, you know, into beast yeah. mode, it was, uh, it was, they were done. Well, when, when, when Draymond Green got suspended, I knew they had a chance and, and it wasn't as much because they were without him. I just really feel, felt like that moment as a team, they had lost their focus, the Warriors, I mean, and I felt like, yeah. okay, if they, if, they can steal one in Golden State, and then they can come home. No, the home team won't let them lose. And if they and in Golden State, I felt like they made the absolute worst uh, decision of, of trying to taunt LeBron James, which I thought was just the most foolish thing I've ever seen. Like, don't yeah. give the best player in the universe, uh, you know, a novels worth of bulletin board material. You know, right? And, well, and, yeah, he looked for he looked like that yeah and the best yeah. players do yeah yeah and, so, uh, sorry go ahead well that was i thought it was a turning point when draymond hit him in the balls <laughs> i mean that was the turning point that's when lebron kind of woke up and you know started playing like we expected him to play and uh, i think the next game was the uh, when him and Kyrie both had 41 and um, it just, the momentum just shifted to Cleveland. And then that uh, finals game was just unbelievable with the, the shot and the block. And I'm, I'm literally getting, I'm looking at my arms. I literally has go, have goosebumps as you're talking about that. I mean, it, mm. it still gives me goosebumps. Well, <laughs> the block, you could write a book about the block. Oh, yeah. I mean, that could be, you know, the biggest defensive play in in the NBA Finals history. I, I think um, it's the biggest defensive play in NBA history. And I actually wow. wrote a piece on it a, a, a few weeks ago. I mean, you've got, you know, uh, the ball, uh, the big steals. Jordan had the big steal on Malone in, in, the, in the finals. And then you had uh, the ball. Was it Kuzi stole the ball? Or Havlicek mm-hmm. stole Havlicek. the ball. Yeah. And the Havlicek stealing right. the ball, and those are probably the other two biggest ones, but those were steals. LeBron, I mean, we talked about it. There's maybe five guys in the world that could have made that block, and one of them's probably yeah. named U- U- Usain Bolt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, I mean, it, it yeah. was amazing. Sorry, what were you saying? You mentioned, uh, I don't know why I'm thinking of this now, but you mentioned uh, Havlicek. When I first, one of the first uh, games I covered in Boston, uh, Johnny Most was the announcer, and he sat at the scorer's table doing the games, and he smoked. He smoked cigarettes <laughs> right there. Yeah. Right at the game, you know, just big puffs of smoke all around him as he was announcing the game. Oh, I you know, remember just, Boston Garden, you just used to be hazy. I mean, it was just yeah. hazy the whole game. <laughs> Well, that was a pretty cool place to go. I was only there a couple times. And, the, the original uh, garden? Yes. Yeah. yeah, because they they uh, they shut it down just uh, maybe a year after you started covering 
the Cavs, right? Right, right. Well, they played them in the playoffs one year before that, and uh, I think I went. I don't know. I, I can't remember the year, to be honest with you. It was a long time ago, but uh, it was a pretty cool place to go to. It's a similar. It was very similar to Fenway, and uh, Fenway is just just has that feel about it. And uh, the one time I covered, I used to fill in for our Indians writer, Jim Ingram, once in a while. Um, and I was sitting in the dugout waiting for a manager, one of the Indians managers, I think it was Charlie Manuel, to come out and talk to the media before the game. And I'm sitting in the dugout, and uh, about six rats ran across <laughs> my feet. And it just scared the hell out of me. I was, like, jumping up on the bench and... And the guy who was in there, locker room at, uh, attendant just said, you know, that's not, the, you know, it's common, very common. <laughs> so, so there's rats at, rats at Fenway. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> there is. <laughs> so, you know, we talked about the Indians a little bit, and I, I you know, we called it our, our endless summer here at Cavs of Blog. <laughs> we just had, we rolled right from the Cavs into the Olympics, for Kyrie Irving, and then we had, uh, or well, and we had the summer league, and that was a lot of fun. And then just right into the Indians, their their fantastic run down the stretch, and then the World Series. And uh, I, hopefully, you got to watch every game uh, of the playoffs. Oh, I know I, was, I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was hanging on every pitch. Oh yeah, it I mean, was, it was it was a fantastic run. It really was. And and one of the things I wanted to ask you, I mean, do you think? Just how much Cleveland has changed since that championship? Do you think the Indians make that World Series run uh, if the Cavs hadn't won it? Uh, yeah, I mean it's hard to really say that. Um, you'd like to think that way, but it had a lot to do with talent and Tito, and you know the pitching had a heck of a lot to do with it. Um, I think they were ready to to make that step. And uh, they were really close to being that good. And when they made the trade for Andrew Miller, it just pushed them over the top. I mean, that it made a really good team that much better. Yeah, I, I'll agree with you there. I also kind of felt like it just motivated them all, like they wanted to be part of it. And also felt like it took the pressure of you know, the 52 years off of the Indians. Like they were playing, I, I felt like they were playing with house money in the playoffs. Uh, because yeah. the pressure wasn't there, you know, and you've been around, it was a, almost a game, every game tradition of, to, you know, illustrate all the Cleveland heartache over the last 50 <laughs> years of, of, yeah. you know, Red Ride 88 and, and everything else. And now it's like, okay, that, that's all behind us. We we don't have to see those graphics anymore. So I, yeah. I felt, I, I feel like that pressure's off, but. I, but right. in in agreeing with you, they were also it's it's selling the Indians short a little bit to say that because they really did have a fantastic run, and I don't yeah. know did you did you think they were going to pull it out? Uh, I I thought when Kipnis hit that shot down the line in the ninth, I was like, I mean that was ten feet off from the pole. I was like, I I was so <laughs> close. <laughs> yeah, jeez. I I thought well, they had a shot, but you know. Chicago was just that much better, you know, just a skosh better. Yeah, they were, Chicago was really good, don't get me wrong. That, that, that was a strong, strong team. And their pitching was really good as well. 
and then they had the closer that, uh, you know, he was almost unhittable until that last game. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It was a great run. And, um, you know, I think Cleveland, the Indians remind me a little bit of the Cavs in 2015. Yeah. If they with when they have all their guys, they're going to be really, really good again this year, and um, I think they really want to sign Napoli. But um, you know, there's some things to do, but they're going to be really good. Oh, absolutely, and I and I think um, I I definitely think we could see a World Series rematch. I mean, the Cubs are are really both those teams are incredibly talented and incredibly young. And yeah. so it's gonna it's gonna be fun to watch for a few years. Um, I, I agree. <laughs> so uh, you know a little more about the book. Uh, just wanted to take you through some of my favorite chapters. I really felt <laughs> like the book really picked up steam in the in the parts where you were there. You know, in the in that in that twenty year stretch where you were there. I think one of my favorite stories was the story of. Uh, <laughs> You uh, interviewing Mike Fratello while he was taking a shower. Um, <laughs> I, well, I, you never I knew with Mike. Yeah. <laughs> you never knew with him. He had a side to him. If he uh, uh, got upset about something, he had a temper that was just unbelievable. I mean, he's not a very big guy, as we know, but uh, you didn't want to mess with him. Let's put it that way. I mean, the guy played college football for uh God's sakes. But, uh, yeah, I got summoned into the office one time, and there um, I, I knock on the door, and I hear, you know, come on in. And uh, I walk in, and I can't find him, and then I realize he's in the shower. And I'm trying not to look at the shower <laughs> as we're talking, you know, I'm, I'm like turning the other way as I'm talking to him. And, you know, he's, like, sham- he's like shampooing his hair. Well, Bob, I didn't like that uh, – he he would let you know if he didn't like a story that you wrote or uh, you know something didn't put the team in a very good light. Uh, he'd let you know. He'd kind of blow off some steam, and you'd have to kind of stand up to him a little bit. You couldn't let him, you know, have a total dominance over you. You had to stand up to him. And then uh, the next day, everything was fine. <laughs> I remember one time I wrote a story about Bob Sura, and Sura said. He's having a hard time playing with one eye looking over the bench all the time and one eye in the court because every time he makes a mistake, Fratello yanks him out of the game. So that day after practice, uh, he's addressing the media, Fratello, and I just happened to look down, and he has a clipboard with my story on it and all these things that he yellowed, highlighted, and uh, so I know it's coming. And <laughs> So he waited, you know, he waited till all the other guys left and, uh, he asked me to hang around and he really got in my grill about it. And, uh, you know, I tried to, you know, tell him, you know, I've got to write the story. It's not like I can't write the story when someone says something like that. And, um, you know, he blew, blew off steam and it was fine the next day. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's kind of a coach's mentality. One of the things I've always enjoyed about Fratello is there may not be another guy in the NBA, and and now you're seeing a little more. You got Doug Collins, and you've got, uh, uh, you know, now Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, but he was really the first that just 
you know, and Tommy Heinsohn a little bit, but that moved seamlessly back back and forth between the broadcast booth and the coach's chair. And and I've never oh, seen yeah. a guy that I've never seen a coach come in and be as good as Fratello was just really early in his career. And he and Marv Albert just had an unbelievable uh, rapport when, when they broadcast together. And so he, he's always been one of my favorites on on both behind the mic and on the bench. Um, and, and I really enjoyed the way he adapted his methods for the Cavs talent. I mean, when he got there, they had Price and and Doherty. I was Dor. I can't remember if Doherty was still there yeah, or not. Yeah, but, Doherty was still there. And Nance, yeah. and then uh, and then he really had to change his tactics. And I always thought that one of his best coaching jobs was the year that he made the playoffs. Uh, I, it was either Ilgoskis' rookie year or his second year. Um. And, and I really, I mean, that team was a super young team, and he and he got him to the playoffs. I really was impressed by his coaching that year. And then, yeah. and then he, and then it kind of all went back downhill long enough for the Cavs to get LeBron. So it it, yeah, it, it ended up it working did. out in the end. But yeah, um, that was uh, that was Kemp's first year, I think. That's right. That was yes, John that's Kemp's what it first was. year. Yeah, and uh, it was wild though when he he was uh, you know kind of heading down the slope that year even he wasn't that high flyer that he was in seattle when he got here and then and then after the lockout i think that that was might have been 99 yeah uh, that sounds right he, sho- he showed up like at 320 or something <laughs> like that and it was unbelievable how big this guy was when he got back and i remember covering the wine and gold scrimmage which is the first you know always the first game where we see these guys and I remember writing that he looked like he was dragging a refrigerator <laughs> up and down the court. And, um, it was a little brutal maybe to write that, but, um, it just, I'd never, I just couldn't believe how big he had gotten. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, and that's the one thing about the Cavs that I enjoy is, I mean, even though it was tough at the time, but their, their history is very colorful. Um, yeah. I, I feel like for a team that didn't win a championship for, what was it? 40 years. Um, for, they had as a, a good of a history as any team in the NBA that, that didn't win a championship for that long. And that just some great figures and characters who are some of the favorite people that you got to interact with, uh, from both the Cavs organization and then the Cavs media, uh, that you got to interact with on a regular basis? Well, I mean, personally, my favorite coach was uh, Paul Silas. Um, just loved the guy. Just loved him. And uh, Windhorst and I coined him his name as the old grizzly bear. That's what we called him. <laughs> and he, he when, uh, you know, practice was over and everything was done, he would start talking about these old Celtic teams and, oh my God, it was fantastic stories. And, um, I just, um, loved being around the guy. And, uh, that's another one. One of the favorite, two of my favorite stories with him was, um, when him and Ira Nubel got into it in Atlanta. (laughs) I remember reading uh, that story from the book. It was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't repeat what he said, but, um, (laughs) It was uh, a little vulgar, but um, 
Ira had played in Atlanta, I think the year before and all his friends, and he lived in Atlanta in the off season, all his friends and family were at the game and Silas played him like eight minutes or 10 minutes or something. And he was furious after the game. He went into the coach's office and, uh, let uh, Silas know he wasn't real happy about it. And uh, I was in the locker room interviewing Z, and all of a sudden I hear a door slam, and it was Ira leaving the coach's office. And uh, he just runs out of the locker room, and Silas opens the door and chases him down the hall. And, uh, you know, I was smart enough to realize I should probably get out there with him. So I follow him out into the, into the hallway and Silas is just screaming down the hall, you hip hop. I can't say what he's saying. And, um, he was ready to throw down with Ira. And, um, if, if Ira had hung around, they would have fought right there. He had rage in his eyes. And, um, he admitted later that Ira would have kicked his ass, but you know, he was like, he was almost 60 years old then at that point. But, yeah, you uh, know, and, and Ira Newble's a, an athlete <laughs> in the prime of his career. But, absolutely. But, I, yeah, I mean, you know, Paul Silas had the age athlete. factor going on, too. <laughs> <laughs> he did. And the, the second story I always remember, we were in Detroit, and um, this was early in the first quarter. Eric Snow's bringing the ball up the court. He has an eight-second violation, and Silas just takes him out. It's, like really early in the game and um, puts Jeff McGinnis in and uh, Snow's walking to the bench as he crosses paths with Silas he mumbles something under his breath now we don't know what he said but you could probably guess and uh, Silas just throws him off the bench says get out of here I don't want to see you anymore sends him to the locker room and um so it's a big, it becomes a big story. <clears throat> so all the reporters are asking Silas about it afterwards, you know, one question after another, after another. And finally, he thinks he's done with it. And then there's this Columbus dispatch reporter there. And it was a kind of a young reporter. <clears throat> he asked one more question. And that was, to Silas, that was it. He, he was done with this. And he just screams at the kid. Am I speaking Chinese? <laughs> and the kid, oh, you know. And, um, well, the radio, talk radio up in Detroit just played that over and over and over the next day. And um, it was just an unbelievable story. That's, and that's, uh, that's awesome. two of the silent stories I just remember. Of course, there's another one. See you next Tuesday. And that was a little <laughs> vulgar as well. When, uh, I don't think Carlos that one made Boozer. the book. It, I don't know. I, I don't know. That that could have been one that got cut. But mm -hmm. I, I thought it was a fantastic story. We're waiting after practice. This is Boozer coming back to Cleveland for his first game uh, since he, you know, screwed them the summer before. And uh, he's coming in with Utah. We're asking Silas, you know, all about it. And he doesn't really have much. He didn't, you know, he... He didn't have really much to say about it on the record. So afterwards, we're, again, we're just talking about the good old times after practice. I didn't even have my tape recorder on, but 
uh, Mike Snyder had his recorder on and recorded it somehow. And Silas said, uh, uh, Boozer, I, I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> and I didn't know what he was talking about. I honestly had no idea what he was talking about. About 20 minutes later, it came to me, <laughs> see you next Tuesday, you know. And I think we all get it. <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, well, I'm a little slow. <laughs> well, and, you know what? That's one of those things that, you know, 12, 13 years ago, that was a new saying. Now we all know what it means. But then, yeah, yeah I remember the first time I hadn't right. heard it. I had to process it a couple times. <laughs> so next day, uh, we fly to Milwaukee. The Cavs were playing in Milwaukee the next night. Well, Boozer, uh, when Utah came to Cleveland, Boozer didn't even play that game. They held him out for an injury. Well, quote, unquote. So the next yeah, so the next day, uh, Jim Rome show starts playing this See You Next Tuesday thing over and over, and he's, like, real critical of Silas. And uh, so I'm thinking, how the heck, where did they get this? And, yeah, because um, it's supposed to be off the record, right? Right, it was. And uh, so Tad Carper, the Cavs' uh, vice president of communication, calls me up in Milwaukee in my hotel room in Milwaukee, woke me up from a real nice nap, I'll let you know, and just starts going off on me. How could you do that? And he thinks I provided Jim Rome somehow with this quote. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about, Tad. It wasn't me. I didn't even record the record it. Well, it turns out Snyder recorded it and sent it over some network, maybe by accident, and Rome's people intercepted it and saw it and ended up using it. And uh, here was one of their own people accidentally doing this, and uh, that's uh, what came of that. Silas got, I think, he got signed pretty heavily for that. I don't know oh, if he man. got suspended. I don't think so, he did. So but. Snyder was actually working for the Cavs at the time? He was working for, you know, he did their pregame and okay. postgame shows. Okay. And, yeah, and uh, for 3W, it was WTAM, I think, okay. by then. And um, so. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's rough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm, I'm sure he did not. Uh, I'm sure that he heard a mouthful about that. <laughs> I'm sure he did, and I know he didn't mean to do that, but um, that's where they they uh, traced it to, I guess. So, yeah, and so yeah, you you talked a little about Boozer, and how, you know one of the things I I'm always curious about how, and, and you definitely talk about one of my other favorite chapters was uh was it uh world was it world be free after they signed him to the contract, flying him in on a helicopter. Oh, yeah. And, and that was kind of unheard of at the time. How, how is, obviously there's the money, but what, what are some of the other ways that the, the players have changed uh, in the time that, since you started covering? Well, was, I can't really think of anything there. I mean, the money of course has just astronomically uh, changed things. But, uh, you know, the players are pretty much pretty much the same. Well, that's good, I think, in a way. Yeah. 
And, and well, World Be Free was a, quite an interesting guy in, in himself, but uh, that was quite a PR stunt at the time, you know, bringing him in on the helicopter, and they had a red carpet, and uh, they were introducing that they had signed him as a free agent, and uh, that was a Harvey Green. He was a PR guy then, and uh, he's now with the Miami Dolphins. He was an old-school kind of PR guy. He would, you know, actually, like, pitch stories, you know, and he would, uh, hey, you know, this guy's doing this. This would be a good feature, you know, and they just, they don't do that anymore. And uh, he was an old-school guy that used to do stuff like that. Yeah. How is, uh, so, I mean, clearly the amount of media access has changed a ton. I mean, is that the biggest difference in, you know, covering a team now versus when you started? Right. I mean, well, it started when LeBron got here, and um, it was never the same after that. I mean, previously, um, there are two or three reporters, maybe a TV guy would show up once in a while. That was it. And when LeBron came, you know, starting with his first game in Sacramento, um, it was never going to be the same. You know, there, uh, I had a whole chapter on it in the book about his first game, um, I walked down to the locker room before the game and, you know, there were 200 people waiting to talk to him. I was probably 50 guys deep. Uh, I couldn't hear a thing he said. And, um, we knew right away, you know, you couldn't just show up any time and expect to get to him. And, um, and, of course, uh, I remember talking to Silas before that game, what he expected out of uh, LeBron as a rookie. You know, he thought, oh, maybe, you know, 15 points a game, something like that. And, you know, LeBron just went out and, you know, 27 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, four steals his first game. He, he uh, looked like he belonged right away with these uh, other NBA players and he was going against the Kings team that was really good. I mean, they still had uh, a lot of really good players. They still, they still had Chris Webber, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. They had Webber and Wadi Divas and yeah. Yeah. Um, Very, very good team. And uh, he showed that he belonged and, you know, the team that Cavs put on the floor that night, was impressive with uh, Zadurnas. Boozer was at four. LeBron, um, Darius Miles, and uh, Ricky Davis. That was their starting five that first game. That was one of the most athletic teams I met in the league. But it uh, lasted about two weeks. <laughs> and when they traded uh, Ricky Davis, Ricky uh, made the mistake of yelling at LeBron at practice, I guess. That's the word. And uh, and uh, GM Jim Paxson traded him about a day later. <laughs> well, and, yeah, from the minute that that first game happened, I mean, you kind of just knew it was LeBron's team. And it has, yeah, yeah. even when he wasn't here, it has been ever since. So <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um, oh, one of the things, and you had talked about uh, – a little bit about Windhorse and all the different people covering the games. And you actually have a, a chapter in the book that you're one of the very few people to uh, credit us at Cavs the blog 
for <laughs> uh, the uh, the Wind Horse interview that Robert Attenweiler did uh, before uh, it was 2014, I believe, and kind of the before the summer that they re-signed Kyrie and that LeBron came back um, and <laughs> was a big uh, to do because the Cavs missed the playoffs that year. They weren't uh, they weren't uh, sure whether they were going to re-sign Kyrie. There was a lot of uh, you know drama uh, involving the team, and and I always was uh, a little suspicious that a lot of the leaking and I've uh, I've kind of seen it since he's been gone but I thought Chris Grant uh, there was a lot of leaks that came out of the Chris Grant era and I, I've noticed that since he left it, it's been a lot more tight-lipped organization about what's going on but I mean that's just an observation but uh, yeah. the kind of the rise of the blogs I know we came around in 2008 uh and a lot of blogs and online presence showed up, and they, and they even you know were showing up at uh, at the locker room and press conferences and stuff like that. Um, it kind of how did that change when kind of everybody had a voice? How did how did that change the industry for you? Well, there's a lot more people hanging around, and uh, we didn't know all of them because uh, they were just these bloggers started showing up and uh, some of them were quite good. I mean, really good. And, um, you know, it was, it wasn't the traditional media, but, uh, things were just changing. And, uh, now there's quite a few, uh, bloggers, uh, are hanging around the team regularly and, uh, they do nice work. I, uh, I, when I was on the beat, man, I used to read everything. I read all the other, uh, writers' stories, and I read a lot of blogs as well, and I tried to keep up the team, you know, as best as I could. Uh, you know, talking to some of these fans even, they knew, they seemed to know as much about the team as uh, I did sometimes. Uh, it's really amazing how much people are, how much they know now about the team that they uh, cover and uh, follow, and uh, it's pretty amazing. But the, you know, I've always been a guy that read all the blogs as well as the other uh, newspapers. Oh, and I know Robert was very, he told me he was very tickled uh, that you credit him in the book. And uh, I know that incident, uh, you kind of took Windhorse to task a little bit for uh, not uh, getting Kyrie's side of the story when that broke. And it, w- it was a little interesting the way that turned out because that was kind of a, uh, you know, uh, Brian Windhorst and Robert Attenweiler had been playing tag back and forth, wanting to get together. And part of it was, uh, you know, Robert trying to talk to him about screenplay idea or screenplays and, uh, ideas. And I, I believe, uh, scripts for plays as well. And just kind of some general sports writing and, you know, Windhorst let him go on the record and it kind of, uh, kind of snowballed and I think it got away from both of them a little bit more than I think they thought it would at the time and hmm. uh I remember when it came out I I read it and I was like wow this is this is <laughs> I don't want to say salacious but there was definitely a lot of good copy there and so I was like I rushed to get that po- edited and posted in about uh 30 minutes which 
for me was, mm. was pretty quick. And I remember thinking, wow, this is kind of wild when something we're posting is what everybody on the internet is talking about in the NBA sphere. It was wild. It was kind of our 15 minutes of fame for a while. And of course, uh, we, we had a little bit of heartburn because nobody was uh, crediting us. It was like an unnamed Cleveland blog. And we were really, we were really <laughs> sore at the time. Yeah, because, that sucks. Well, we were actually an ESPN affiliate at the time. We were part uh-huh. of the True Hoop Network. And ESPN wouldn't even credit us. So it was like... Oh, wow. And I know that was part of the reason that Windhorse had agreed to do it was because we were an ESPN affiliate at the time. So it was it was kind of funny the way, you know, you have all these media sources, but nobody uh, wants to credit somebody else unless they're big enough, you know, uh, yeah. for, for breaking a story and that kind of stuff. So it was, it was interesting. And, and that was kind of our 15 minutes of fame, but it is interesting. Uh, you know, I have heard at different times that, you know, people have read stuff I've written and stuff other people on the blog have written. And I, I will be honest, we don't go to a lot of games. I think we've only ever actually interviewed players just, you know, a handful of times. I don't think we have anybody, You know, this is all our day job. And I think that would probably be the biggest change that I've seen is, you know, you've got people doing a ton of work that also have a day job. And, you know, and I get a little concerned. I don't want to be, you know, putting anyone else out of a job. But um, also, you know, the newspaper industry, as we both know, has changed immensely uh, in the the last 20 years. And it's much I mean, newspapers are all running a lot leaner and. Unless you're in television media, media, it seems like media in general is running a lot leaner, and <laughs> it seems like there's a lot more people out there, uh, in some respects, willing to work for free, but or you know just out of love and as, out of a hobby. But it, it's also, I mean, what, what's your take on that? A little bit. Well, I mean, I'm banking on uh, newspapers. Uh, being around for a few more years anyhow. Yeah. And, um, it's, um, they're still going to need people to write the news no matter what venue it is. And, um, whether it's in print or whether it's on a, yeah, I mean, if it's online or wherever, they're still going to need people to write the news. And I mean, that's all I've ever really done. That's all I ever wanted to do was uh, be a sports writer. I mean, that started back in probably as a ninth grade. And I, that's what I wanted to do, and uh, I always wanted to cover a pro beat, and I covered the Browns for four years and covered the Cavs for 20 years, and I really, you know, it was, it was a great run, and it was a lot of fun, and the four years I covered the Browns uh, was the three AFC championship games. Uh, I covered them 86 through 89 and uh, never got to the Super Bowl. but I bet that had know, to be a plus, really, though. Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. I mean, it was really, in fact, Tony Rizzo started at the same year I did, the first year in 86, I think. He was working for Magic then with uh, Lanigan and Malone and those guys. They sent a, they had a, a sports guy and that was him. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a great run covering the uh, Browns. I really loved it. And, uh, I, uh, was never a giant NBA fan, but um, when they offered to cover the Cavs, I you can't turn that down, of course. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Well, and and I I totally agree with you that I think news is definitely. I think the way a lot of newspapers are going, and and I certainly see that. I'm sure you see it where you are. I feel like a lot of people have dropped their AP copy and. A lot now is the focus on the local news because that is the news that you can't get anywhere else uh, right. for newspapers. Right. And and I really feel like, you know, going forward, that's where the focus hopefully is. And hopefully you guys are bringing a great product, you know, to the people of Medina. And and hope I hope that continues because I feel like uh, we don't want to lose our, our local identities, you know. I, I, I certainly don't. I, I always lament when everything becomes kind of chained and commodified and, and our regional identity, I, I really feel like, and not just, you know, Northeast Ohio, but our individual communities is a, is a, a source of strength. So I hope that continues. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Kyrie thing, I don't think I necessarily took uh, one horse to pass there, but he I think he, he was uh, pretty dead set on, uh, Kyrie leaving, he he really thought that he was going to go, and there was a lot of signs pointing that way that he was going to go, and uh, Kyrie is really frustrated with all that at the time. You know, all these sources. He said, you know, he said, you know, I'm the only source you have to worry about, and and um, so it all turned out uh, for the best. And uh, my God, is he having a great year so oh, far? He's he phenomenal. is just. Yeah, he he is really on top of his game. He was he was a little rough against the Sixers, but I I felt like the whole team was. He was, yeah, you're right. I think he was like four eight four of eighteen or three of seventeen or something like that. He had a pretty bad game, and I read somewhere where the team bus got stuck in traffic and he didn't get there to <laughs> really late. Oh, okay, yeah, and, I, I read uh, that one too. Yeah, his routine was. These guys are, you know, they have a routine and. If it doesn't go just right, uh, you know, they could uh, that could really mess them up, and you know, it gets in their head probably a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of this year's team uh, in terms of? Do you think the team that we're seeing now is the team that we're going to see at the end of the season, or do they have some moves in the works? Yeah, I mean, um, Griffin is amazing. Uh, He'll find he'll find some way to add to this team. I I can't imagine they're going to go into the playoffs with uh, Iman Shumford being their backup point guard, for one thing. They don't really have a seven-footer on this roster either, Um, even though that, you know, it's not today's NBA game so much, but uh, you still like to have at least one on your roster, I would think. I I would think so, too. I mean, you look at, I mean, they, they handled Draymond Green last year. Not Draymond Green. Uh, the center for the Pistons. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond. It's that the DR noise. But, um, yeah, yeah, Andre Drummond. They handled Andre Drummond, but I felt like, in a way, a lot of what happened with the Pistons wasn't as much Andre Drummond, them handling him as... Uh, you know, the Pistons point guards started just jacking up shots towards the end of the series and, and not trying to get the ball inside. And I feel like there are a couple matchups. And they had a real problem with Embiid the other night. Uh, there are a couple he matchups. Good. He, he is, is really good, by the way. Yeah. Yes. He's, there was a point where I thought the Cavs might draft him in that draft. And, uh, of course, then he got hurt and everything changed. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I was. Well, we that we the had same some draft as Wiggins. Was that the Wiggins draft? Yeah, that or? was the Wiggins draft, and we had some yeah. you know, very harsh uh, debates over you know Wiggins or Embiid or Parker. And I I came down on the Wiggins side, and mainly just because of the injury thing and you know the bird in the hand kind of thing. But I'm just pleased as heck that Embiid's really kind of turned it around, and hopefully he's he's healthy for a long time because he's he's as dynamic a big man, and it just has a complete a collection of skills as anyone I've seen in a long time coming out of college. Yeah. So, Absolutely. I agree. They're going to have to make a trade there. They, they just can't play all those guys. No, I agree. And, I... Uh, Nerland hasn't even played yet. And, uh, I, I feel like I don't he's know what the odd man out there. Probably, probably. I, and I kind of like him as well. Um, I don't think the Cavs will get involved in that necessarily, but uh, he uh, defensively he could be pretty good. Uh, yeah, if he went to the right system where he was with next to a guy that could shoot real well, I think it would it would help him a lot. I think actually a team like uh, um, the Rockets would be great for him, where he could just kind of be a run defender and run the floor mm. and be a dive man. Yeah. Uh, while the other team, rest of the team spread the floor, that kind of the same way that Amari Stoudemire did for the Suns, would be you know a great fit for him. But I mean, what are what are some of the other things you could see happening with the Cavs before the end of the season? And and do you want to give a prediction? Um, well, I I mean, I don't think they're going to win a whole lot more games than they did last year. I think they won fifty seven last year. I I wouldn't think they would win a whole lot more than that, uh, only because they realize that the playoffs is really when you have to be ready. And, uh, you know, some of these guys are going to take some time off. Uh, they'll start giving guys days off here and there. And um, it's really all about when the playoffs start. And uh, they they uh, have figured that out. And, uh, you know, as far as them... If they don't get through the East, I would be just shocked. And, uh, and you know, it could have another rematch with Golden State. And uh, although I just uh, love seeing Golden State lose like they have <laughs> lately. We're all enjoying that. Yeah. I, it's just, uh, and, you know, Curry, um, I met him when he was uh, still in college. He's the nicest kid. Now I can't stand them. And uh, that's just, I don't know, maybe that says something about me, but I just can't stand the guy anymore. And uh, he's a great, great player. Don't get me wrong. I just uh, I just love to see them lose. Oh, I, I agree with you. And I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like they took last year for granted, like the lightning in a bottle, uh, you know, the kismet they had on the court was, you know, had never been done before. And I, yeah. I feel like they took it for granted a little bit when they, when they kind of took a wrecking ball to the, the team and they didn't feel like they were doing that, but I think they're seeing that a little bit and not that I don't think they could very easily be back in the finals, but I, I do feel like the Spurs are going to give them a run for their money. The Spurs look really good to me so far. And, um, yeah. and the Clippers with Blake Griffin, I mean, Blake Griffin looks like he's playing some of the best ball of his career right now. So, so it should it be does, a fun season. Yeah. Yeah, the Golden State's uh, depth is really going to come into play, I think, a little bit for them. But um, 
they're still really good. I mean, all three of those teams are, are could make it to the finals. Yeah, absolutely. And and with what Russell Westbrook is doing in in uh, you know Oklahoma City, who knows if they got another piece, what they could do. So you, you never know. Um, so you know, uh, just uh, one more time, if you want to tell us where. Uh, we can get the book. What's the best place to get the book? Well, uh, either at Amazon.com. They uh, are selling it there. And um, it's supposed to be in the bookstores, you know, uh, wherever you your books, you oh, well, buy your books. They especially should be in there. Northeast Ohio, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, Borders uh, should, or should have it by now. Uh, and it's million. been selling yep. pretty good. Yeah, it's been selling pretty good so far. I'm very excited about it, and uh, I hope people like it. I mean, I think it really turned out great. Yeah, I, I was I was pleased, and there's a lot of stuff. Even if you think you know a lot about the Cavs and the Cavs history, there's stuff that you're going to read in here that you're not going to read anywhere else, which is one of the things I really enjoyed, uh, some of the stories that you told, uh, and especially, you know, that 90s era and the early 2000s, which is the era that I grew up with. And But you also really do a great job of the history on the 80s and the and the 70s. So uh, yeah. is there – I know you did have the forward by uh, Austin Carr, which I also enjoyed. Um, how, did you have to promise him any favors to uh, get him to write the forward for you? Uh, no, just a free book. Uh, well, that was no, very, very you know, nice of him. Yeah. I've known him for a long, long time, and he really is a fantastic guy. He's just a regular guy, and he's he could have been one of the best college players to ever play the game. Oh, I, I think and, he's in the discussion yeah. for sure. Yeah, and um, talking to him about some of the old teams and talking to Lenny Wilkins and some of these guys, it was great. And, of course, Lenny and Austin were together in the backcourt for two years with the Cavs before they traded uh, Lenny. And um, they both averaged 20 points a game one year. And that was, like, one of the first times that ever that had ever happened. And uh, But then they ended up trading Lenny to Seattle, and he became player coach. And, you know, of course, you can't even do that anymore. And uh, talking to Lenny, he's still upset about the Harper trade. Still, <laughs> years, years later, he uh, still yeah. blames that for not winning a title because that team was good enough to win a title that Doherty Nance price. Uh, it absolutely wasn't, and Harper might have been the one that put him over the top. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he played. You know, just he was a guy that could counter. Uh, Jordan a little bit. I mean, you know, he's not. He didn't. Well, he had the physicality to play with Jordan. That's right. And at, at, uh, the, at the wing spot, which not a lot of right. people had. I mean, people forget just how physical a player Jordan was at the wing, oh, and not just his yeah. his vertical athleticism, but he was just strong as an ox and just could go up through any contact. <laughs> yeah. Well, someone told me a great Jordan story the other day, and I'd never heard this. He went down when he decided he was going to play baseball that one year. He went down to the minors. I think it was in Birmingham or something yeah, like Birmingham that. Birmingham Barons. Tito was his manager there. Oh wow! And I never knew that. I didn't know that either. And they started riding around this old like school bus or something. And uh, Jordan started bitching about how crappy it was. 
and he went out and bought them like a new bus, which, you know, those buses are like a hundred thousand bucks or I don't know how much it was. And, uh, so they had the nicest bus in the uh, minor leagues while he was playing there. So yeah, I remember that. And then, it, cause I remember everybody's oh. picture of what a minor league bus was, was like the bus, <laughs> the bus from Bull Durham, you know, or just like, it looks <laughs> yeah, like it was built yeah. in 68 or whatever. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to thank you a lot for uh, being on the, the podcast. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. So if you ever want to come back, uh, you're always welcome. Um, oh, thanks. And uh, just, you know, you're parting. What's the one thing you want every Cavs fan to know before they die? Well, the way, if you could pick uh, one thing out of the book, what would it be? Boy, that's a good question. I... Uh, it would have to be, you know, just some of the uh, LeBron stories through the years. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun covering that guy. And uh, even the one time I yelled at him, I don't know <laughs> if you read that chapter. But... I, I don't know if I've gotten to that chapter, so I want to hear that. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you I'm that. I'm about three go. quarters of the way through the book. So. All right. I hope you like it, by the way. So, oh, I'm, I'm enjoying it a um, lot. This is LeBron's rookie year, and uh, every day after practice, we would ask LeBron, are you going to compete in a slam dunk contest? Oh, yeah, that's and the next every, chapter I got coming yeah. up. <laughs> okay, so the next, and every day he would say, I'm not sure yet. And this went on for weeks, and uh, we're on the fourth floor of the queue is where they used to practice up there, and uh, we're, it's after practice. And I asked him, LeBron, have you uh, made a decision yet uh, on the uh, slam dunk contest? And he says, uh, well, I'm not sure yet. And I just said, well, why the hell not? <laughs> and there's a pause, and I'm like, what did I just do here? And it was like silence. And whatever, that filter that you have there, I don't know where it went, but it just uh, failed me or something. And finally, after like it seemed like a minute, uh, LeBron smiled and la started laughing about it. And uh, we like shared a joke about it. And um, but I realized, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> and uh, it wasn't a very real smart move on my part. But um, I just kind of lost my mind there for a minute. But uh, that was a, a pretty neat part. And I remember one other real quick one. We were writing that year that he couldn't hit a three-point shot. Just can't make it. And uh, we were all writing it. There was a game in Minnesota, and he was on fire, just dropping threes all over the place. And the game was over, and they won the game. And um, the team was walking out the court, and he stopped over at the scorer's table and stopped right in front of me and says, you guys keep writing that shit and walked off. And I realized, you know, he uses that as motivation. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, they all say, well, we don't, we don't, re we didn't really read that story or whatever. They all read that stuff. They read it all. And um, if they don't read it, they have one of their handlers read it and they tell them, you know. I remember. But they definitely read it. Early in uh, my blog writing, I wrote a big piece on uh, Kyrie Irving and his defense, and I wrote, 
you know, the good and I, I kind of compared it to Spock and his evil twin from Star Trek and good Kyrie and bad Kyrie. And I remember after the article published, he's like, never played the game, never coached the game, but thinks he knows the game was I got subtweeted by Kyrie. Oh, so. wow. Jeez. Nice. Nice. <laughs> So yeah, I remember. Yeah. And, and I definitely think that's one big thing is, uh, you know, the average fan and, and a lot of the writers now they're, and not that you guys weren't, but you guys had so much to cover in terms of the day to day that a lot of people are, are very into the minutia of the strategy and the, you know, the analytics and all that stuff. And that has definitely changed. So, but I definitely appreciate having you on and having and hearing the stories. It's been a lot of fun. So, uh, thank you very much, Bob. And uh, once again, this, the book is a hundred things Cavaliers fans should know and do before they die, and you can get it at Amazon or your favorite uh, Northeast Ohio bookstore. So, uh, thanks again, Bob. I really appreciate having you on. And uh, as we say here at Cavs a Blog, as always, go Cavs. All right. Well, thanks again for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. There's a fire. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.